My name is Andrew Diaz. I am the host of the My Parents Office podcast, and welcome to episode 62. Right now, we've got a state of the office segment. I'm actually going to be doing this one on my own. I'm taping this on Monday morning. Brett was busy yesterday. Uh, He's working today, so figured I'd give it a shot. Uh, Try to go with no co-host. I've done it a couple times. I did my mock draft like this. Um, Then just a couple intro segments, but we'll see if I... uh, yeah, how, how this goes, but I'm excited to try it out. Um, I won't lie, a little nervous, but, you know, bumping the road won't, won't deter us. So, uh, quick update this week. We have on, we have the interviews with that we already taped with Nebraska 149-pounder, uh, Ridge Lovett. Ridge was a great guest, talks a lot about his recruiting out of Idaho with it being a, a smaller market for wrestling. Um, and then got into what he's going to try to do to make All-American status. And then we have uh, Friday, a great interview with Notre Dame alum, uh, one of the legends from uh, Notre Dame football, and a former Chicago Bear, Chris Zorich. Uh, Chris has lived a very interesting life. Uh, He grew up poor, uh, went to Notre Dame, a very prestigious university, um, went to law school, played in the NFL, worked as an athletic director. So he's done uh, everything and anything. Um, and now he actually hosts a podcast, one that I really like. Um, I believe it's called the Chris Zorich podcast, where he just interviews and talks with former Notre Dame players. Um, like he had Michael Stonebreaker on, Stefan Tuitt, and it's got some guys that he hasn't played with, like Tuitt or Jerome Bettis. So it's cool hearing, uh, hearing him talk to former uh, – Notre Dame alum, because uh, like you guys know, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. So first thing we're going to get into is the Jake Paul Ben Askren boxing match, which I actually didn't watch. I was over Brett's house for the fight. Um, It got around like 1130 and the fight still didn't happen. The Triller production, I think, was awful. It was it it, it just it, it was so they tried to make it so entertaining that it just wasn't they were trying way too hard um but I ended up I got home I was laying in bed at like 12 15 I get the alert well uh from Bleacher Report tune in to the Ben Askren uh Jake Paul fight I was like there's no way I'm watching this but um Askren loses and I just I lose a little bit of respect for a guy like Ben Askren um stepping into the ring because he knows he's not a boxer and it just looked like he was getting in there for a payday. And I don't blame him for getting a payday, but it just felt like he fleeced the audience. Um, I mean, I would have loved to see seen, uh, him and Jake Paul step into the Octagon or even wrestle because uh, the Paul brothers have a little wrestling in their blood. Um, Askren was a great wrestler at Missouri. And then Askren was a good MMA fighter. So if they had stepped in the Octagon, I think, or wrestled, I think the result is different. But a lot of people, I think, uh, discredited that Jake Paul is a good athlete. He has a lot of money, so he could hire the best trainers to train him for this fight and that they had planned for a few months in advance. He's tall. He's in good shape. He's young. It, and Askren had love handles and is coming off hip replacement. He's a 40-year-old dad. I mean, I, I don't think this is a great win if you're Jake Paul, 
but uh, it's better than beating Nate Robinson. I, I'd have to agree, or I have to say, because that Nate Robinson fight, that he beats Nate Robinson, he's out there challenging like Mike Tyson. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a very disappointing fight. I watched the replays the next day, but there's for a fight like that. I mean, like, and like I said, the thriller production was awful. The fights they had beforehand were not entertaining. I think the most entertaining thing they had before the Jake Paul fight was they were doing like slap boxing or slap offs or whatever. But I don't, it was a very odd cast of characters they had there too. Like Pete Davidson was there. Um, I don't know why Diplo was there. Snoop Dogg. Um, then they had Ice Cube performing. It might have been the oldest group of rappers I've ever seen. It was Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube up on stage, just sitting in a chair, rapping and smoking. It was pretty hilarious to watch. Um, and then they, you had like Doja Cat, Justin Bieber. The Black Keys were actually they they were the first band to go on. I wish they went on like the middle. They were actually really good. Um, a Black Keys fan, so that I was happy I saw that one. But the rest of them just weren't very good, and it took away from the actual the the energy for the fight because you were just sitting there waiting and waiting. And eventually, I think a lot of people didn't care about the fight because the uh, Triller really dragged it out so long. And even if they had Mario Lopez there too, he was like the, the main guy talking, like doing interviews and stuff like that, which I wasn't a huge fan of either. I don't know why. Like they said, they picked the oddest cast of characters uh, to be at this event. And they did it at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, and they had no fans. That stadium is massive. It's a huge indoor dome, and you can't have at least like 25% capacity. That was definitely an odd thing too, but – you know, it's whatever. Uh, it's these celebrity fights are getting very. They feel old. They feel and they feel very gimmicky. Like they they felt gimmicky from the start too. So it, it just every TikToker and YouTuber thinks they can step into the boxing match and challenge a forty year old has been, and they're doing that now. And I just boxing's become such a joke. It used to be one of the biggest sports in the world sixty years ago. And now it's an absolute fraud. Uh, like, it, it's just the people that step into the boxing ring uh, now, it's just, it's not like it was. The last real fight was probably like Pacquiao Mayweather. And that was a while ago. That was for Mayweather to go 50 and 0. So I, I, I just, it, it was very disappointing. Just overall, that's the point I'm trying to get at. It, it was a super disappointing night. Um, a little update we are 10 days out from the nfl draft uh like i said that's probably in my top three weekends of the year when it comes to sports i'd probably put ncaa wrestling at like number three that like thursday friday saturday that's gonna be there the start of college football season is my favorite i don't care (coughs) sorry i don't care who is playing it could be Kennesaw State versus James Madison, or it could be Alabama versus Ohio State. I will tune in and sit down for that opening game. Uh, I'm super excited for college football to be back, and hopefully full stadiums. Uh, that would be awesome. The best last year was seeing the Notre Dame game when Notre Dame played Clemson, and Notre Dame pulls off a big upset. I mean, DJ, uh, the backup quarterback for Clemson played real well, and they we saw what happened when Trevor Lawrence played, but that's beside the point. 
I was just super excited when everybody stormed the field. That was just an awesome sight to see. Uh, so I'm hoping we get a little bit more of that once there's some normalcy back into the game of college football. But probably my favorite, because I love the NFL offseason. I love watching where a lot of free agents end up. And the draft definitely dictates the second half of free agency. Who's going to get picked up by what teams? Because there's still a lot of good players out there. There's still offensive linemen like Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fisher, Trey Turner that are tried and true starters. They're very good players. They just were, they're a little bit on the older side, maybe underperformed in their last year, but in the right system could become top guys again. So you're going to see like if a team misses out on some O-linemen, then those guys could get signed. And that goes the same for every position. But this year is going to be a tough draft to miss on because I feel like it's one of the deepest in, at least that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. It is so deep at the quarterback position, receiver, offensive line. The two on offense that I'd say are less deep would maybe be like RB, which is still a pretty deep class and tight end because tight end it's really Brevin Jordan, uh, Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermith. You still have pro Wells. Who's not that bad. Jeremy Rucker, but like those guys are tier two. I'd say Pitts is definitely tier one. And then like one double A is like Fryermith and Brevin Jordan. Pitts is probably one of the best players. And I think he's, the second best player in the draft behind Sewell and probably just ahead of like Trevor Lawrence, but that just goes off with the impact. I think they could have on a team wherever they land. Um, But I mean, Lawrence is going to go number one. He's the top fit for the Jaguars. I I did my mock draft a while ago. I'm not going to re redo that, but I'm just curious as to how the draft is going to shake up and to see where the best available free agents are going to end up after the draft because you still have uh, Clowney actually just got signed. So he's off the board. Richard Sherman is still available. Corner is pretty deep this year. You've got JC Horn, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, Sertain the second. It's a super deep class. And uh, Sean Wade is in there who really, he went from a top 10 pick to potential fourth rounder. Now he, the college football playoff hurt his stock immensely he did not play great but so there's guys like Quentin Dunbar and Sherman who are still available offensive line there's still a lot of guys that could go like I said Mitchell Schwartz uh Russell Okung um Fisher Alejandro Villanueva it's pretty crazy how many of those guys are still available um but yeah I mean it's there are teams that may hold off and not risk taking a rookie uh, because they want to go with somebody that's very that's been through the league, like a Villanueva, or even at receiver, like Antonio Brown is still available. Um, edge rushers, Melvin Ingram, still on the board, and these are guys that you'll get like you could sign to like a two-year contract that aren't gonna be a franchise player for you, but you know they'll give you a consistent two to three years if you keep them around. D-line is still a stack position in free agency. You got Sheldon Richardson, mostly the interior of the D-line. Uh, Maurice Hurst, who's pretty young. He's only 26 years old. He could be a big-time addition to any team. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Vegas re-signs him. I don't really know why Vegas got rid of him, but it, it's, you know, it, you see that a lot where guys get dropped and get re-picked up. So 
And then rest of the D-line, we got P.J. Hall, Jarrell Casey, Quan Short, Geno Atkins. Those guys, P.J. Hall is 26, but then the last three guys I named are all in their 30s. So that's the example that you're going to get maybe a year or two out of them. They'll bring veteran leadership. So do you sign a Geno Atkins with the intention that you're going to draft a defensive tackle in the first round and let Geno Atkins kind of mentor him? That's what I mean. Like the Cleveland Browns, I have them taking Christian Barmore with their pick. Do they bring Sheldon Richardson back or Geno Atkins or Jarrell Casey uh, onto the roster to kind of mentor what Barmore, like to kind of just mold Barmore into being a better player? Because these guys are still very good players. They just have lost a step. They're not as quick. Maybe they're not as strong. And the game just keeps getting quicker and quicker. With the quarterbacks you're seeing in this year's draft, like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, it's those guys are just super athletes that can run and pass. They're going to be dual threats in the NFL. So you're seeing the game is not going to slow down. And these guys are kind of stuck there. They're going to be retiring very soon. So I think they're, they'll come in as uh, mentor roles, a lot of them, especially Atkins, who's been a multi-time Pro Bowler. He's been an All-Pro. Uh, just it makes sense, I think, for a team like that, or even maybe like Carolina could sign him. Minnesota or Minnesota was in the mix for him at the time before they got Dalvin Tomlinson. I could see him maybe ending up back in Cincinnati because Cincinnati's gonna have a young core. You may want that veteran leadership. Um just there kind of as a presence. They could bring him back on a one-year vet minimum. Receiver, there's a lot of guys that will also fall into that veteran that veteran status with Golden Tate, Larry Fitz, Danny Amendola. I don't really think you want a guy like Antonio Brown as a leader. He needs to be on a team where a quarterback is the alpha, somebody that can kind of keep him in check. And you saw it with Brady. I don't think he's going to be back in Tampa Bay. Personally, I could see him maybe going to like Seattle. I mean, Russell Wilson has been making the a big push to land him. So that's a good spot because he also has guys that where he's not going to be the number one, he'll be probably the number three behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So he could be a super productive and B have a quarterback that is going to keep him in check. A guy that's been in the league for a while and is not going to really deal with a lot of BS. And that also goes for a coach like Pete Carroll. You're he's a no BS type of guy. He's not a young coach. That's going to do, like anything to win, not going to pull anything like that. Pete Carroll has his standards as a head coach where it's like, if you are a problem off the field, if you're a problem in the locker room for us, we will get rid of you. So I actually like that that Seattle fit a lot. Um, other receivers that are still on the board, there is, I mean, Golden Tate is probably one of the best ones still available. He's 33. But he could be – he can play both slot and outside for any team. The Giants cut him. Uh, I'm trying – I think he could be a good fit with a team like a like the Jacksonville Jaguars because they have a very young core with LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark, and they're going to have a young quarterback. You want a guy that's super reliable, somebody you know is going to catch passes for you, and Golden Tate could be that guy. I could also see like the New York Jets, a team that is definitely going to be in the market for a quarterback, the 49ers, the Falcons, even the Denver Broncos, because the Broncos are another team, very young receiving core, Noah Fant, 
Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, Cortland Sutton. He could fit in as just like a slot guy, uh, give guys breathers in between plays. So I, I do like him in maybe Denver or San Fran. Josh Gordon is still available, which is super unfortunate because he's a great player, but you just, I don't know if he'll ever play again. And he's the year he did play, he led the league in receiving, which is actually an insane thing to think about that he could, he's maybe one of the biggest what ifs in sports. It's like, if he could, in the words of Stephen A, stayed off the weed, then does he have a Calvin Johnson-esque career, a Jerry Rice career, a Randy Moss career? Does he put himself up with some of the greats? And it's something we will never know because he's 30 years old. His career is just about over. And he's played, I think, maybe two full seasons or one full season. And it's super disappointing. I feel it, it, it goes from the part where you feel bad for him to it's a waste of talent. And I think I'm at like the point where it's a waste of talent because he just needed to not smoke. And I, I know different, different people have different issues. And if he's dealing with addiction, that's a bad, that's uh, super unfortunate, but at some point you got to learn, like you have so much potential and so much talent that you could go down into one of the league's best, but that, like I said, that's just disappointing. I hope he can make a return at some point. Um, but then there's some younger receivers still on the board. Demir Bird, uh, who wasn't bad in New England, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Seth Roberts. So keep an eye out on those guys landing as like a three or a four for a lot of other NFL teams. Interior O-line, there's some guys that'll be, that aren't great. They could be a backup or a plug and play at either center guard or center left guard or right guard, like a Nick Easton or an Alex Redmond, uh, Joe Dale. So it's that position is very scarce right now because the top guards that were in free agency got taken off the board very early with Brandon Sheriff uh, going back to Washington and Joe Tooney signing with the chiefs, which I thought was super surprising. I thought they were going to bring Tooney back and let David Andrews walk after they'd signed Ted Karras. Um, Kyle Long was also one of the top free agent guards, which I really don't know why he took a year off. Uh, that's a very tough thing to do in the NFL, uh, or really just in the game of football, it's tough to take a year off and come back. So I don't know if I really like, he got a lot of hype coming, coming back. And I mean, he's still in great shape. He's still 315 slim, like he was with the Chicago bears and he's coming back for a contender. But I also don't understand the chiefs thinking with cutting an, a former all pro tackle in Mitchell Schwartz and a former number one pick in Eric Fisher, and then bringing in guards. Now, your guard position was okay. You had Kalecio Semele, who was banged up, and you had um, Dr. Dr. Tardif, who was at the other guard. But it just it's a very odd thing for them to do. I mean, I think that signals that they're definitely going to take offensive tackles in probably the first and second round. Well, I mean, but with the, like I said, the draft being as deep as it is, they could land a Liam Eikenberg or a – Sam Cosme at the end of the first round at uh, the 31st pick and then land a Dylan Raddins from North Dakota state um, in the second round. So, or even like a Quinn Miners in the second round to play center because uh, I believe their center's not back uh, Austin Ryder. Uh, so they do, they have a lot of holes around the offensive line 
And it also doesn't help when Mahomes is getting paid $500 million. Uh, and also your four best players. Kelsey has a huge contract. Tyreek Hill is a huge contract. And Chris Jones is a huge contract. It is tough to pay guys. You're going to be dealing with four or five really good, four or five stars, but you're also going to have practice squad players all around the field because you're not going to be able to retain anybody, give them the money they want. So I, I wonder what the, the future for the Chiefs could look like if they, with the money that they've spent. I mean, does Mahomes end up restructuring down the line? I don't see it. He's, it, it just doesn't make sense. But I, I was very skeptical about that deal when it happened. I don't blame the Chiefs for giving Mahomes the money. He is the future, I think, of that team. He brought them to the Super Bowl, won them a Super Bowl, brought them to another Super Bowl, and was pretty much the reason they stayed in it um, because their offensive line didn't look great. And I think that was a big thing, too. Schwartz and Fisher didn't play in the Super Bowl, and you saw how big the pressure was against – I mean, and that pass rush was the best you're going to see. It was Shaq Barrett, JPP, and Dominican Sue. Um, and Levante David, Devin White. It was a very, very tough night for Mahomes. And you realize like, oh, okay, our starting tackles were out. Uh, but now we're going to cut them? That does It just overall doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. They could still sign a guy like a Dennis Kelly, who's 31, give him a two-year deal, cheap. I mean, he filled in when Taylor Luan was out, was the starter when Isaiah Wilson for the Titans didn't, eventually fizzled out he's going to be a guy that's going to be out of football I don't think any team picks him up takes the risk I mean Miami traded a seventh round pick for him that's a very low risk uh high reward I think because you lose the seventh not much is going to come out of the seventh but you get a guy that had some potential and then he's not shown up to OTAs he's off partying in Miami I mean if you didn't if you thought that Nashville was tough for him to like stay focused and not party and you bring him down to Miami. Good luck. He ended up getting caught a week later. So he's a guy that's going to be out of football, but yeah, I think Dennis Kelly or even a DJ Fluker who's bigger, he could play guard and tackle. Um, he would be an okay addition. These are guys that are, that are 30 years plus. So it would be, you know, you're only getting them for a year or two before they either a retire or B get injured or their play just, really declines so I'm very curious as to what the Chiefs do but like I said I'm so fired up for the draft this year uh it's like I said I love just kind of just studying and seeing what like I love seeing what the rosters are going to look like for next year and trying to predict that um OTAs is awesome too and like the mini camp because I'm always curious to seeing who gets cut because there's always like one big name star that gets cut from a team like a couple of years, years ago, Albert Hainsworth gets cut from the Patriots and everyone's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. But Hainsworth is also really old. And uh, he was a problem in the locker room, like, and on the field. So you always see that where it's like, it makes sense, but you're like, Oh my God, they just signed this guy. And I actually thought Cam Newton was going to be that, that player uh, last year because it felt so weird for Belichick to bring in a quarterback uh, because that just, didn't seem like him. I thought he was just going to ride with either Stidham or Hoyer. I was very confident that uh, they, they were just going to cut him after uh, a week or maybe turn him into a Taysom Hill, but I was happy to see Cam Newton stick around. But I'm, I'm very curious as to who that one player will be. I mean, it could be Antonio Brown again. 
with Seattle or with Green Bay. So keep an eye out for that. Before I wrap up, I did finish Entourage uh, this past week. I was very disappointed. I didn't realize the last episode was actually the last episode when I was watching it. And when it like just ended, I was so disappointed because I had invested a lot of time into watching Entourage. But overall, I thought I, I didn't like the last episode because it felt super rushed because it's like, oh, Sloan's pregnant. And uh, uh, we're, we're getting Vincent, the, uh, the movie reporter, getting married. And um, Ari is getting back together with his wife. It was all just a bunch of random stuff that I think they could have stretched out to maybe two more episodes. But I'm not going to tell Doug Allen what to do because he made an absolute masterpiece for a for a show. Um, Entourage is probably now my new favorite show, probably a little recency bias, but you know, it, it happens. Um, I am now, I don't know what I'm going to move on to now because I'm, I have, I've been using Brett's HBO. He's been kind enough to let me borrow it. So I don't know if I'm going to go with Sopranos or Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've heard very good about both. Um, I've watched the first episode of Curb. I wasn't a huge fan, but I heard it gets better. I mean, Larry David's hilarious. He's the greatest. But then Sopranos, I've heard, is also a classic. I know a lot of the plot um, from some podca- other podcasts I listen to, but I'm still I, – I think that's one. I, I think that's what I'm going to go with next is Sopranos over Curb. But, you know, I could bounce around. Um, and, yeah, actually, one more thing. I keep saying it before I wrap up. Uh, the Kirk Minahan – Kirk Minahan is actually – he's got the Case podcast that is – uh, really good. It's I'm not a huge true crime fan when it comes to podcasts, but he is doing one about the disappearance of Jennifer Lynn Fay in Brockton, Mass, and another one about and it actually all ties into the disappearance of Faith Roach down in Walhalla, South Carolina. So that episode drops. It, by the time you hear this, will probably already be out. It drops at noon on Mondays, but it's been very good. They're hitting episode three today. And he did like a ton of work on it and it's coming out really good. Like I said, I've never been, I only watch like the true crime crime documentaries. The podcast never really did it for me, but this one's legit. Um, and another one I actually listened to the other day was million dollars worth of game with uh, it's another barstool show. They had Kevin Durant on and it was pretty funny. I mean, Durant's talking about, his like how he used to uh, write stuff and rap in the studio, but he was like, that's just garbage. He, and he, it was funny hearing him admit it. He he's in a very odd few weeks, like with the rap report DMS, he got fined. Um, but he, another, they asked him in it, which is something I found very interesting that I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, they asked Durant, they're like, who were your top five teammates you've played with in your career? So he starts, he says Kyrie Irving. All right, cool. He's playing with Kyrie now. I get that. James Harden. He played with Harden in Brooklyn. He's playing with him in Brooklyn now, and he played with him in OKC. Then he goes Steph and Clay, the Splash Bros. Completely understand that. The fifth one was infuriating. I was pissed because he you, – you see him thinking, and you know it's like it should be Russell Westbrook. Him and Westbrook were like brothers when they were playing. That was – a the duo, a great duo. It was so unfortunate they never won a ring together. But he goes, Serge Ibaka. And even the million dollars worth of game, guys, you 
I was watching the video of it. They were kind of a little, they were a little shocked, which they, they should be. That's total BS. And I hate Durant for doing that. He, he Durant was really winning everybody back over after the Rappaport DMs where he just absolutely emasculated him, made the king of this, the quote unquote king of trash talk cry on TV from these DMs. And now he's going to lose the people again for not putting Russ in the, his top five teammates, but that's whatever. Um, go check those out. If you want stay tuned, we've got the Ridge love it interview uh, Wednesday, Chris Zorich on Friday. And I actually just uploaded the Wilson bell interview to YouTube. So, I mean, if you want to watch it, it's just us on zoom. It's not too, it, it's nothing too crazy, but yeah, if you want to check that out, go check that out on our YouTube page. My mock draft is up there. Go watch some of the old wrestling roundups. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five-star review. Write us a nice review. Um, Subscribe. Share the podcast with your friends. But yeah, other than that, thank you for listening. Appreciate it, guys.